The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. On the show today, how much time do you spend on training? Seriously, come on, we're all friends here. How much time do you really spend on training? Yeah, I thought as much. It's never the most glamorous part of the game, is it? And yet, there's so much to be gained from just a little bit of work. Elsewhere, we're asking two key questions. What have you learned? And what else do you play? In our two key features, what have you learned and what else do you play? Currently featuring some 50% of TIFO's on-screen talent. Let's get started. Joining us on the show today from Sports Interactive, it's Andrew James. Hello, Ian. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Andrew, how many times have you been on this show? I think this is now my fourth appearance. Your fourth appearance? Andrew James, we've got something for you. Welcome to the executive bathroom, sir. Andrew James, you're a friend of the show. How do you feel? I'm so honoured, really am. You should be. You should be. That's some 80% of all the money that LiveScore gave us went on that one sound effect and the rest went on gin. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. For anyone who hasn't heard you in the past, what exactly do you do all day? So I'm the QA lead on the gameplay team for training, finances, new gens and long-term progression. You are the perfect man there. Last week, we spoke about tactics. This week, we're talking about training. And and as with all of these things, we should stress that there's no right way to play this game. A lot of people just want to get into doing the matches and doing the transfers and things like that. And they they really don't want to do the training. If you don't want to do the training, you can pretty much delegate it without causing yourself too many problems, can't you? Yeah, it's pretty simple. And I think it's something that a lot of people like to do. Yeah. Even if you don't fully delegate it, sort of the schedule will fill itself in a bit. So you don't have to even keep an eye on your responsibilities. But it does make a difference if you take a close grip. Yeah, there's there's a lot of benefits to be picked up. So your primary tactic, your your coaching staff will kind of base all of their training plans on that. For people like me who have just probably gone a little bit too deep and go very slowly and in 70 hours of gameplay still haven't actually got to Christmas of the first season. (laughs) Let's talk about those training sessions. There are loads of them, aren't there? How do you get the right balance? Probably the best way to do it is if you see the little bars that show the effect that each session will have on your players, so the impact on their fitness, on their morale, on their workload in general, and you want to sort of don't push them too far in any direction. We break them into groups, so you've got your physical sessions, your technical technical and tactical sorry just try and have a few from each one and keep it nice and balanced basically just a a good spread now one thing that's that's come up in my Newcastle game I had three sessions of attacking set piece coaching before a game which I would like to point out resulted in two goals from near post corners quite a lot of people in the comments said that actually that that's complete overkill all you need to do is one session and it will basically benefit you for a period of about two weeks is that true one session will make an impact for a few weeks but it's always better to 
fully drilled and if that's really where you want to target your training. Andrew, it's pretty much all I've got at this stage about <laughs> set pieces. I, I am nothing. It's a weird one. You, you get some very clear, tangible effects like attacking set piece training will make you better at attacking set pieces. But there, there's some sort of hidden bonuses in there, particularly for team cohesion. And there's a few things on there that, that really boost that. Oh, what are some of the best sessions for that? All the tactical ones are always good for just general tactical play but then there's things like attacking shadow play and defensive positioning stuff like that they're good group sessions where your players just become more comfortable playing with each other rather than just as individuals team cohesion is so important because that in itself unlocks loads of little bonuses to position and movement and and things like that if you kept it quite vanilla and just sort of used the team training sessions so you know you might have a morning of physical training and then defensive training and then the next day you do attacking training and tactical training things like that you wouldn't get sort of clear spikes in anything but you you get boosts across lots more stuff is that is that the way to look at it yeah you'd get boosts across more stuff but equally if you're sort of playing a real counter-attacking style of play but you might end up getting some sessions that are working on slower build-up just because you've not on that specific so you might be sort of wasting some sessions on something that won't actually be useful so you want to try and make sure as much as possible that uh well in the show's catchphrase everything links to everything it does the harder you work them the better they get is that fair or is it more nuanced than that it's a bit more nuanced than that because if you work them too hard they might become unhappy and then get worse so you need to sort of be careful <laughs> Is it fair to say that if, if you're sh- uh, scheduling lots of tactical training that you'll see a clear boost in the attributes uh, of the players? You should do, but it's not guaranteed, but it definitely sort of weights the progression towards that end of things, yeah. So what are the factors that, that really count? What can you do to maximise those bonuses? Yeah, as you say, you want to target the training in the right areas, so know what your attributes you're aiming for. You can also use individual training, which I think we'll come to later as a way to sort of hone in even more precisely. But again, there's still little things like there's always a bit of random chance, so nothing's guaranteed. But yeah, you want to keep players happy, keep their keep them wanting to do the training sessions as well. So don't be too repetitive with the same sessions every time. But yeah, as long as they're on board and they're performing well, then they should see that improvement in the right places. All right. One of the most um, overlooked areas of the game, I think, is the page for unit training. Why is that so important? Yeah, that is. A, I think you're right. That's an underrated page because, firstly, it's a good way to start integrating your young players into the first team setup without fully promoting them. So they can be training around your first team squad and sort of getting a first taste of it. But also you can do things like put your fullbacks into the attacking unit so they build up better cohesion with the strikers and cross people that they're crossing for so if you're a top team with wing backs who bomb on you don't really want them to be working with the center backs as much as you want them working with wingers and strikers so again it builds that cohesion 30 years of playing this game and i did not know that um uh, this this show is literally (laughs) teaching me stuff Um, when it comes to individual training um how risky is it to pile up the workload for young players uh it's quite risky but again, another underrated page is the medical centre, so you can have a look at their overall workload and make sure that their injury susceptibility is not getting too high. Again, it's a good way to sort of, if you spot a genuine weakness in a player's game or somewhere where you think they could improve, which would benefit their overall game, it's a good way to specifically target that area. We spoke a lot last year about how important player traits were. What can you do to really 
sort of boost the effectiveness of player trait training? Is it just sort of down on the strength of your coaches or, or does the player have a role in, in making it happen as well? Yeah, the player has a role as well. So there's lots of hidden attributes, stuff like adaptability and versatility, which might help in that situation in terms of their ability to learn new stuff, basically. Obviously, the quality of the coach impacts that as well. But mentoring groups can also have an impact. So if you put someone in a mentoring group with a certain trait, they might pick that up from the more senior professional. This is another thing that, that not that many people do. So if you've got like a model professional 30-year-old centre-back, you can set up a little group with some of the younger players, particularly when the new gens start coming through and they've got quite negative personalities. Those mentoring groups come into their own, don't they? Yeah, that's when it really pays off. So the personality can rub off onto these younger players and he can have a good positive impact mentally, but also help them improve technically as well. All right, so I've I've seen your name pop up all over the SI forums when people have issues with the game. What would you say is the most common problem that people have with training? What mistakes are they making that could be easily resolved? The most common report on my forums is people saying that they get too many injuries and we'll often look at their training session and they've gone physical too often in the middle of the season or they just run their players down too much, which means that the chance of their injuries does increase and therefore they are getting the right amount of injuries, basically. So you just have to keep an eye on that and make sure you don't work them too hard because it will end up injuring your players, basically. What are the warning signs to realise that you're putting too much pressure on them? So if they're playing every single match, then chances are that they're going to start getting tired. But if you're giving them no break in training either, then their condition will start to drop. If you look in the medical centre, you'll see their fatigue will start to build up and their injury susceptibility will start to rise. And then it's just a ticking time bomb. It's going to happen. So is it is it a good idea to um, give them three days off here and there or, or perhaps even longer? Yeah, we get the little yellow rest icon might come up if they're basically becoming fatigued and need a rest. So yeah, when I see that icon, I give them as much rest as they need until it disappears. <laughs> If you're a manager like me, you're kind of micromanaging everything. Training's absolutely critical, isn't it? If, if you can't buy the players you want, you can at least mould them. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, as you say, you don't have any money to buy a whole new squad and change things that way. Training's the next best way to try and change things in your team. Well, let's hope I don't get sacked before that happens. <laughs> Andrew James from Sports Interactive, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me on. all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get scores from around the world. But it goes beyond just scores. They're real teams with real people all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. So yeah, I mean, essentially, it's a guide to exciting new saves around the world. And where's more exciting than Hamburg, Seb Stafford Bloor. Nowhere in Macintosh. Hamburg is the best. Damn right. Well, I say damn right. My only experience of Hamburg is uh, from the 1990s Beatles origin story movie, Backbeat, which depicts Hamburg essentially as a great big fighty red light district, which is awash with drugs. Is that right? Well, uh, there's an area of it which is up on the, the Reaper Barn, which is the, the red light district where one of the Hamburg football clubs is based, St. Pauli. 
but generally it's, I would say, uh, I know I'm biased, but I'd say it's probably the most beautiful city in Germany. It's got a, a big shipping industry here. So there's massive docks and sort of great vistas and landscapes to watch over. And um, the center of town, the kind of the Regent Street part of Hamburg is horseshoed around a huge lake, which is very, very lovely. Oh, nice. But yeah, no, it's, uh, do visit. I mean, it sounds like from your description, it sounds like you've already been here, really, or whether, you know, you, you also live here too. <laughs> In my uh, mind, I've, yeah. I've been there. Yes, as, that came uh, across. The, yes. <laughs> when I was growing up, Hamburg were, I mean, they were one of the best teams in Europe. They had Kevin Keegan. Mm. Ev- everyone knows that, I'm sure. Everyone also knows that their nickname is Dadino, the dinosaur, and that yeah. they had never been relegated right up until 2018 when they were suddenly relegated. What, what went wrong? A lot of things slowly. It's like that old maxim about going bankrupt. It happens oh, slowly yes. and then quickly. It's um, I don't think it's unfair to say that Hamburg's been a, a club of mild dysfunction for quite a long time. But it's also been a club where really silly things happen. So listeners who, who don't know of this might want to uh, Google Backpack Gate, which the pricey of which is um, a club official left a, a backpack full of club documents in a local park. It was found by a good Samaritan who phoned the club up and said, "Hey, yeah, uh, you might want to, you might want these back because it seems to be full of, you know, player contracts." And uh, the um, person on the other end of the phone sort of said, "Yeah, no, that doesn't sound very likely. We don't want it back." And then it, you know, <laughs> the second call the uh, the um, good Samaritan made was naturally to the local paper. But it's um, it's a very strange condition. I, I think it's probably typical of a lot of places now. There's a, a deep residual love, but also kind of a deep residual uh, resentment for uh, enforcing that love on its fan base. My brother-in-law is a, a big Haasfau fan, and every time they lose, he goes into to his garden and starts working on some little project he's got going on there. And um, needless to say, he's got the, the nicest garden in the whole of Hamburg now. And uh, I live next door to him, so I can see him outside, like in the rain, with his with his um, with his Hamburg jacket on, all sad and angry, with his red face, and you know, but. It, <laughs> It's a shame, really, because I, I suppose to, to draw a, a kind of a slightly clumsy English parallel, it would be like if Everton got relegated, a team that were very, very good during the 80s, like you mentioned. They lost, haven't won the Bundesliga since 83, same year they won the European Cup. And it's been a kind of a, a slow grind back to averageness and then dysfunction. And I don't know, people just seem weary, but oddly optimistic. But- Everything's in place, isn't it? For people who are thinking about doing this in Football Manager, they, they've got some serious facilities and a very big stadium. Yeah, the Volkspark Stadium is uh, one of the biggest in Germany. Um, the infrastructure is there. The budget is there. The ambition is there. The, the current head coach is a guy called Tim Walter, who I think the club did pretty well to attract. There's a lot of good players still at the club. You've got a very exciting Manchester City low knee called Tommy Doyle. Extremely bright future. Maybe lack a little bit in the goals department. Former Cardiff City centre forward Robert Glatzel is leading the line now. So last season, Hamburg had a, a guy called Simon Teroda, who was like a Zweite Bundesliga David Nugent. Someone who <laughs> is always going to score a lot of goals, but is is probably not quite good enough anymore for the level above. He left and uh, joined Schalke. And Robert Glatzel came in. And he's a bit, he's a bit more of a, an obelisk at the top of the formation. Good in the air and holds the ball up quite nicely, but he's he's quite limited forward. So goals are a bit of a problem, and that's kind of been borne out in uh, in Hamburg's season. They've only lost one game, but they they haven't scored enough goals. 
and they keep drawing games one all and they concede too many goals as well. So <laughs> classic football fallibility story. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with horses for courses. Remember when Marseille got relegated to the second division in the early 90s and, and their recovery was built upon Tony Cascarino, um, who's, who's still much loved in, in, in that neighbourhood for being a very prolific second flight goal scorer. There are probably a lot of people now thinking, okay, this this sounds like the kind of challenge that I want. It's fair to say, isn't it, that if you did everything right at Hamburg, there's no reason why you couldn't restore them to being one of the biggest teams in Europe. And very quickly too, because what the last decade or two masks is the fact that Hamburg is still one of the biggest clubs in, in Germany. If you rank teams by members, they're right up there, not Bayern Munich, but they're alongside sort of teams like Schalke and Borussia Dortmund. They're a very, very large club with all the facilities to succeed. It's just a, if that's the save you opt for, then you've got to cure something which is a little bit deeper than just goals and, you know, keeping the ball and and keeping clean sheets because it's a, it's like a, you know, how most clubs have over time, it, it begins to feel as if it isn't a problem with the players or the coach or the pitch or the stadium. It's just something wrong with the shirt. Whoever wears it is kind of prone to calamity. So it's a lot like Sunderland. A lot, <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you if you translated Sunderland till I die into German, then you know you'd have quite a lot of parallels. Bit of a shipping industry, you know, it's quite close to the uh, coast. Yeah, I quite like it. That works. You're you're a big fan of Football Manager. What what's your save at the moment? Hamburg, Hamburg. So oh, really? I, yeah. So I um. I genuinely did not know that before we got you in for this feature, by the way. No, no, it genuinely is because I, um, when I, when my wife and I decided that we were moving to Germany, to Hamburg, I launched into a Hamburg save as a way of getting to know the local football team. For a, a part-time player like me, it was great because it was quite easy and yet very rewarding at the same time. And also I'm, I'm easily seduced by that fallen giant narrative, which, um, which obviously Hamburg have in spades. So it's, um, yeah, I'm only, I'm only a couple of months in and not quite as easy as it was last time. We've lost a little <laughs> bit of ability. Tiroda going to Schalke has hurt us because we can't seem to, um, can't seem to pack the squad with goals. But we're, uh, yeah, we're doing okay. We're just outside the playoff places, so we'll be okay. The playoff place even, sorry. Well, I might need a new save at some point. I, I still haven't started JJ Bull's Aberdeen challenge from last week. And now all I want to do is uh, play as Hamburg. But the, hey, that, that's a sign the feature's working. Seb Stafford-Bloor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ian McIntosh. That was It's More Than a Score with Live Score. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights, breaking news from around the football world, all on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play right now. The Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore, is, of course, a product of Athletic Media. Surely you'll know that because I've been talking about it pretty much every week for a year. But I know that there's someone out there who listens to this trail and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I should probably get a subscription to that. I'll get around to it sooner or later. Well, do it now. Do it now because you can get a special deal. Just type theathletic.com forward slash FM pod into your mobile device of choice. Right now, you'll get a special offer. It's so worth it. Some of the writing's brilliant. They've even written about Southend United. No one ever writes about Southend United. It's 3,000 words here. It's brilliant. Subscribe right now on theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. 
I'll trade you this baseball for your souvenir bat. Sure. What did you learn? Well then, welcome back to the show. Alex Stewart from TIFO, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you getting on? We've, we've had Football Manager out for, well, if you include the beta version, a few weeks now. What's your save of choice? Did you jump straight into one and stick to it, or have you kind of bounded about? No, I bounded about, and this is what I always do when it first comes out, is it takes me a while to settle on something. But I have now settled. I've settled on Roma. The reason was I was preparing a TIFO video um, for which Roma was a helpful point of reference. And then I kind of looked at the squad and thought, this is an interesting one. So, yeah, I've started. I'm I'm 14 league games in and we're top of the table with 11 clean sheets. And Tammy Abraham has 19 uh, goals for the club so far, including the UEFA Conference League. Okay, well, if uh, if any aging Portuguese managers are listening to this, what the hell kind of formation have you got that's doing that? So it's kind of like a version of Man City. I've basically got four at the back, but my wing backs invert. Then I've got a deep line playmaker, very very aggressive central midfielders, orthodox wingers, and a pressing forward. And it's the tempo is sort of slightly higher, very high defensive line very aggressive pressing, slower tempo, and it seems to be working dangerously well at this point. Have you been caught out by that higher line? I say this because in my Newcastle game, without wanting to give too much away, yesterday the opposition goalkeeper took a goal kick that just basically cleared my entire team, who were all, you know, the furthest player back was five yards off the halfway line. And the striker ran on and scored. And honestly, for the rest of the game, like the little assistant manager thing kept crediting their goalkeeper as their most creative force and we needed to trigger a press whenever he got the ball. That's that's how good Ouch. an assist it was. Um, have you been caught out like that? I haven't. And that's largely because my two first choice centre-backs, Gianluca Mancini and uh, Ibanez, have got pretty good recovery pace. And I'm playing Brian Cristant in front of them with the wing-backs tucking in. So that sort of area just centrally ahead of the defensive line is really compact and my right wing back Karsdop quite often actually is able to turn those opportunities into to good counter-attacks so we did get caught out a little bit against Napoli I think we conceded one goal that way but we've beaten Inter at home we've been to beaten Juve away so it's like you know when the tactic screen flashes up pre-game Every time they're angry that the formation will leave them exposed at the back. And to be honest, I'm not sure I found a formation where they don't (laughs) gripe about that yet. Um, But so far, so good. Would you like to borrow my resting bus face tactic? (laughs) No one ever thinks that's too aggressive. I mean, that's what I do now when I get to about 10 to 5 minutes before the end of the game. I I kick in like the Macintosh protocol (laughs) and lock everything down tighter than... A euphemism I'm not going to use on the no, podcast. No, quite, but... quite. We, we've got sponsors now. We're, we're respectable. <laughs> yeah, no, that just, you know, keep the ball, waste time, drop everything back. It's, it's a very, very smart way of doing stuff. Yeah, possession seems to be a good thing. In fact, I'm thinking of ripping everything up and building a possession-based team on the basis that it is possible to keep the ball for a really, really long time. You're 14 games through the season. That means that you are coming up to your first transfer window. Have you made any moves yet or are there there any in in motion? 
Yeah, so I, I bought two players. I, Roma actually spent a lot of money before I arrived. Obviously, the bulk of that was on Abraham, who I think is about $35 million. I did buy Bernadeschi and Jeremy Boga from Juve and Sassuolo, respectively. They were both transfer-listed. So ordinarily, I try and avoid purchases in the first window, but two good players, both on the transfer list, both costing much less than they should have done. Bernadeschi's got eight assists already so far in the league, and he only cost five and a half million. So that's been, I think, worthwhile. I'm I'm playing them on their, not their wrong sides, but I'm playing on their, uh, Bernadeschi's playing on the left, Boga on the right. So I'm having to train them out of being inverted wingers, but that is worthwhile given the formation. And yeah, it seems to be working okay so far. No one lined up for January yet. You've got half a season of Italian football under your belt, so you might be the best person to solve something for me. With my Newcastle game, I've belatedly realised that going in with just Callum Wilson as a striker might have been bad. <laughs> I've been weighing up hey, Joe Linton, man. Oh, Jesus. Six senior starts and he hasn't even come close to scoring. I'm weighing up uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin because I can, or that uh, Isaacson uh, chap from Real San Sebastian. And then Art de Roche came over and uh, I was talking to him about it and he said, Bellotti, you can get Bellotti for about 10 million because he's in the last year of his contract at Torino. Um, how's Bellotti doing in your game and, and, and would you back that kind of transfer strategy? I would. I think from memory, Bellotti's barely played because kind of every fortnight or so his agent pops up and goes, my client is transfer listed. <laughs> would you please buy him? I did weigh it up. I mean, the reason I haven't is because I only need one striker and I've got Borgia Mayoral on loan. So I, I'm not really requiring a striker at the moment. But yeah, I think that's pretty sensible. You should also look at Pisa's target man, whose surname I think is Luca, who is 2021, something like that, and turns into a really, really good target man, I think. Um, if you can lure him away then you've got somebody who's going to be very, very good for the next eight or nine years. Interesting, interesting. Well, Alex, if you could go back in time and you were going to waste that power on uh, going back to visit yourself on your first moments playing Football Manager 2022 instead of, you know, doing something constructive or, or just, you know, checking stock prices and stuff, what would you advise yourself? I would advise myself to not mess around with other teams and get stuck straight into Roma because I probably would have won the Scudetto <laughs> by now. Well, there you go. That's good advice. That's what Alex Stewart learned. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Always a pleasure, Ian. Thank you. Uh, it's time for your letters. As always, you can email me, imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games, um, because that is a thing too. Uh, producer Steve, you're in the building. Yes. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh. There you go. He's in the, in the little studio behind me. <laughs> How are you? This is your first trip into London for a while, isn't it? It is, it is. And we have met Ian in person. Or IRL, as, as, as they say, for the first time ever, haven't we? Which is quite the thing. Yeah. It didn't feel like a thing because you've been in my ears for so long. Well, I was talking about this uh, the other day, actually. And I, the, the only comparison is pen pals of days of yore. Oh, yeah. It's a bit like that. A bit like that. But anyway, yes, nice to meet you in the flesh, as it were. And here we are. Here in the Athletics towering castle. <laughs> uh, 
overlooking the Carpathian Mountains. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that, that's just where I think everyone works. The Carpathian Mountains, surprisingly busy. Surprisingly busy, yeah. Yes, very much. <laughs> it's kind of like Ireland about 15 years ago for tech companies. I don't know what happened. Some sort of low corporate tax rate. But I like it here. It's nice. Exactly. Um, we've got letters, haven't we? Who have we got? We do. So first up is Alex Pickles. They write in to say, I've ended my beta period with a traumatic experience. It's my second season in Hungary with Ujpest. We were top of the league all season until we faced second place Ferran Kavos on the final day. And we lost 3-1, which meant we were overtaken and finished second. So I resigned immediately and I remained staring at a wall with tears welling up for approximately 45 minutes. Oh, man. So now Alex is looking for inspiration as to where to head now. Now the full release has, of course, happened. That is the acceptable rage quit, isn't it? When the only person you're hurting is yourself. Yes. How long was it after that 45 minutes of of pure liquid emotion before you were like, I probably should have just taken a break and we could have come back and and won it next year? But I like it. I, I respect that level of emotion, not least because I think I'm going to be going through that myself before very long. Um, Good luck, Alex. Uh, Let us know where you go next, and I hope it's a happier ending. Uh, What else we got? William Crisco writes in and says, to provide you with a bit of background, I'm a person who saves scummed (gasps) and and in-game edited. (gasps) What? Cardinal sins here. Over 1,900 plus hours in FM16 and enjoyed those hours thoroughly. Oh, I'm not surprised. So we fast forward to August of 2021 or 2021. Who says it the other way around? And after many hours of listening to this podcast, you motivated me to start my semi-journeyman 100% legitimate take on an FM21 save. So William has gone clean. Stabilizers are off. <laughs> How'd he get on? So to achieve those things in game legitimately is one thing for me, an ex save scummer anyway. And after I scrolled through FN21 leaderboards, I was pleasantly surprised to find that I've squeezed into the top 10 managers from Slovakia, which is Vidium's home country. I'm over the moon right now and I'm celebrating with a glass of rum. And I'm sure this was written at an acceptable time of day, of course. 10 in the morning. I want to thank you for producing such good content on the podcast, which motivated me to finally start my FM save and stick to it. And this is the final line, and this is a genuine thing here written. You made my life better. Oh, William, that's what we do around here. Just wandering around, chucking fairy dust, making things better. (laughs) Uh, welcome, Welcome back to the light side. My first encounter with this was about 20, 25 years ago. I'd shared my love of you know, the 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 former name of, of this game <laughs> franchise with someone at uni and he'd gone, oh yeah, I love it too. Let me show you my saved game. And he showed it to me. He was Liverpool manager, but he had gigs on the left and Beckham on the right, vintage Ronaldo up front and Rivaldo as a number 10. I was like, how did you do this? How did you get all of these players? He said, oh, it's easy. You, you set up sort of uh, second, third and fourth managers. You get them to take over your rivals and then you sell them all your best players for free. And it was like, but, but what joy could you possibly take from that? Winning. Where's the sense of achievement? Where's the danger and the risk? Oh, yeah, people can enjoy this game however they want. And it's certainly not down to the likes of me to be moral arbiter. But if you are safe scumming, you're not really winning. And the only person you're cheating is yourself. Who else we got? Okay. Uh, that felt really genuine and sincere. That's is. how we should take the show forward now. We should make it sort of... I you know, don't think we can sustain that, though, really, can we? <laughs> no, probably not. We'll get bored. 
I'll let you get off your moral high horse. And <laughs> it's too late. Let me judge more people. <laughs> and I'll read Kern van Verden. We're very international today. So Kern van Verden has written in and he's talking, asking about in the last episode, Chris Cassens had a question about throw-ins. This is how Kern likes to set his up. She uses both in real life as well as FM. And he believes he stole the idea from the great Johan Cruyff. So here it is. Let your best player or your playmaker take the throw in. Let only one or maybe two players come short, just the ones that belong in that position anyway. So wingers or central midfielders, for example. Make the taker take a short throw. The receiver will probably play the ball back to the taker because they're the nearest player and they're unmarked. This way, you always have your best player in possession of the ball. Oh, right. I see what he's doing there. Yeah, that's that. That's not a bad one. Well, we've talked about two other ways on on the show so far. One is to completely overload that side, so you um, suddenly end up with sort of four people clustered in a tight little circle, and you can get um, get the overload. But the the way I'm still doing it is long throws. Um, they're pretty wayward. We were talking a couple of episodes ago about the changes they've made to the set pieces, and they're kind of they've made it more likely that the person taking them will, will sort of messed them up they've added a little bit of chance to it but there's something about that long throw just careering into the box screaming through the night sky that it causes <laughs> absolute chaos I've got a couple of goals for Newcastle like that already and um, and particularly in the youth teams as well um, where, where you can really do some damage um, but that's good I, I like that one that's a, that's a good idea from Kern I'll, I'll have a look at it because God knows I need all the help I can get. <laughs> um, we've got time for any more? We've got yeah. time for more, haven't we? Squeeze a few more in, I think. So next one up is Hilary Mitty. They say, my suggestion for you is to have a segment each episode where you tell us how each different chapter of The Immortals, obviously Arrigo Saki's book, can be carried into our FM22 saves. And that's from Hilary Mitty, a.k.a. a well-known Arrigo Sacchiavellian. Nice. Love a pun. Mm. Love a pun. At the moment, we've got the next few episodes uh, given over to sort of breaking down every major factor of the game. We've done tactics, we've done training today, so we've we've got more stuff going on there. But I, I know a lot of the stuff that was in The Immortals will definitely be reflected in all of that and uh, cannot stress enough. It's currently my favourite football book of the year. Have a look for Backpage Press. They are good people um, and, and they published The Immortals. Honestly, you will you will get like four pages through it and then you'll be locked in a battle between whether or not you should continue reading or you should just start playing Football Manager right now. It's a really, really good book. we got time for one more, I think. And it is also book related and it's going to come from Jason Lombos and they say, good day, Ian. Question is, is there a complete list of all the books you have mentioned in the book club section of the podcast? I love reading books and I'd love to learn more on tactics and the like by reading through classic tactical novels. What is the answer to this then, Ian? Well, uh, you, you are not the only person. We had a whole load of people on Twitter talking about book club because it popped back just for that book. Uh, Christopher Sullivan, Scott Salter, Ryan Batty actually went out and bought the Terry Venables book from book club. Dutsky, uh, Robert Dunlani actually asked for football bedtime stories, which is a different podcast, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, Ryan Horn, Taylor Harper, Shane Byram. So we, we will definitely have to have a look at this here are the books that because i have this thing with books i am terrible for starting a book and then finding something else that i really want to read and and starting that and then basically having eight or nine books on the go at any one time and not finishing any of them so i highly recommend this if you're like me uh, on, on your phone on the notes keep a record of all the books you finish 
And then you'll be compelled to finish books so you can write them down in every month and feel like you're really intellectual because you're a book person now. It's a really, really good way of making sure that you actually get full use out of the books rather than just reading the first three chapters before being distracted by something shiny. So the books we have had have been uh, Pep's City, which was by, that's also out on Backpage Press. I can't remember the author. It was something Barosh, uh, who's a Spanish journalist, but uh, uh, Pep City was was excellent. Big Sam by Sam Allardyce. That was great. That was like an amalgamation of all football manager autobiographies. Laurie McMenemy's Lifetime Obsession was really, really good as well. Football from another era. Born to Manage, as we say, Terry Venables. Venables has written a lot of autobiographies. That's probably the best of them. Uh, Tangled Up in Blue. Uh, tread carefully if you're from north of the border. That's about the uh, the Rangers financial issue a few years ago. Rangers fans won't like it one little bit. I suspect Celtic fans will feel very differently. Uh, Mr. Liverpool, which is a story of Ronnie Moran by his son, Paul Moran, which is great. Stand Up Pinocchio by Phil Thompson is, uh, let's say, a less challenging read than some of the books here. Jonathan O'Brien's excellent Euro Summits is like Brian Glanville's History of the World Cup, but for the European Championships. And then, yeah, there's Immortals. Uh, I am currently reading Walshy the Paul Walsh story, um, which was 99p on Apple Books, and I just can't resist stuff like that. 99p books about footballers I used to like when I was 10 years old. Uh, I am absolutely there for. Very much falls under the less challenging read department. Um, I always used to say this at the end of book club uh, in a desperate and entirely naked bid to get free books. But if you are a book publisher and you're listening, get in touch. Send us something over and we'll give it a read and tell people if it's any good or not. Um, And I think what I've done there is just unilaterally make book club a thing again. Welcome back. (laughs) If you've got anything to say, drop me a line. It is uh, imacintosh at theathletic.com or on Twitter, Ian underscore games. Jack, Acker work the space. What else do you play? So Halo is a first-person shooter franchise that has spanned 20 years. The first game of the series came out on the uh, the original Xbox, which was unveiled by uh, Bill Gates and The Rock. And uh, 20 years on, just this week, uh, the latest instalment has released, which is the sixth game. The game's main protagonist is a chap called Master Chief, I'm not going to go into the whole story because we need three hours, not a few minutes. But basically, Halo is a first-person shooter set in a sci-fi world where humanity has pissed off a load of aliens. Basically, you've got to repel the swarms of them coming from all around the world. But for me personally, the story's nice and all, but I'm all about the gameplay. So it's one of these franchises where the multiplayer is just absolutely huge. And it's in a bit of a renaissance era, dare I say, with the new game. Um, It was one of the first first first-person shooters to have kind of the big kind of online multiplayer that swarves of people from all around the world would come and play against each other. It's uh, a slower-paced game. The original games didn't even have a sprint button. You just walked around. It was delightful. The games are 4v4, although there are bigger team battles, and it's just really bloody fun. And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. 
Your guests today were Andrew James from Sports Interactive, Alex Stewart and Seb Stafford-Bloor off the TIFO, Jack Acker Work the Space off the YouTubes, your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am Ian McIntosh of the Clan McIntosh. The Athletic. <laughs>